You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Tuesday, November 20th, 2007, and this is your host, Stephen Novella, president of the New England Skeptical Society. Joining me this evening are Bob Novella. Hey, everybody. Rebecca Watson. Hello, everyone. Jay Novella. Hey, guys. And Evan Bernstein. Good evening, all. Good evening, How Evan. is everyone tonight? Good, Good Steve. Steve. All getting ready for Thanksgiving? Absolutely. Oh, yes. I guess. Yeah. I mean, you guess. The tofurkey is thawing in the sink. I'm having something called a turducken. You guys heard of this? What? No, you're not. Oh, a turkey inside of a duck inside of a chicken or something? The, the opposite Wait, of that. Wait, reverse yeah. it. Yeah, reverse yeah. that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to... Uh, Someone I like to refer to as my brother-in-law, even though he's not strictly my brother-in-law. I'm going to his house for uh, Thanksgiving, and he's, he's I guess he ordered one, uncooked, and then he cooks it at home, and it's, they're supposed to be great. Why not take the next logical step and just shove it inside a pig? You know what? I would do that. I guess that you are, I? actually. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. Well, you know, Rebecca, these scripted jokes are just horrible. I can't yeah. take them. <laughs> yeah, as much as it sounded like one, that joke was not even scripted. <laughs> you could also put a pigeon inside the chicken. That's true. You could. Got to expand yeah. this thing in both ends. A little quail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe a dormouse like the Romans. <laughs> Well, we have no guest this week, but at the end of the news uh, segment, we're going to talk about our weekend at the Psychic Fair. Woohoo! Also known as the circus. It was quite a hoot, <laughs> and we have some sound clips for you, but we'll do that at the end of the news items. Uh, first, a couple of follow-ups uh, from recent weeks. The last couple of weeks, actually, we talked about the PBS Nova special Judgment Day about the Kitzmiller versus Dover intelligent design trial. Uh, It was an excellent documentary. And just a a quick follow-up, a couple of our listeners alerted us to the fact that Judgment Day was actually censored in certain areas. Actually, this came to us from the North Texas Skeptics, so thanks for sending that to us, guys. And uh, it was actually censored in a number of uh, areas, including Memphis, Tennessee, um, the Memphis Commercial Appeal quoted a spokesperson from the, uh, the Tennessee affiliate as saying, We had plans to do our local programs to honor veterans this week during Veterans Day. We thought Tuesday night was a good spot for local programs of this nature, and we were concerned about the controversial nature of the program, as were 15% of the top 50 public stations in the country. Uh, so basically they thought that the, the uh, documentary on the Kitzmiller trial was too controversial to show in Memphis, Tennessee. What nonsense. Cowards. Yeah, they're cowards. Now, Steve, it's a little vague here. They said that they were that they were concerned about the controversial net nature of the program, as were fifteen percent. Now, does that really mean that fifteen percent of the of the top fifty public television stations ref- did not show the the uh, the show, or were they just concerned but then showed it anyway? Yeah, I don't know. They don't, they don't say. And how do you get 15% of 50 stations? What's that, seven and a half? Seven and a half, that's right. What's up with the half a station? <laughs> yeah. Did one station show only half the show? <laughs> it was a very small station. Maybe they just showed one side. <laughs> or no commercials. Steve, that the press release that I read um, had an interesting quote from a disgruntled viewer, David Hill. He actually had a very good quote about uh, about evolution. He said, "Evolution is as important a building block to biology as atomic theory is to chemistry and gravitation to physics." I thought that was a very eloquent way to put it. The next quick follow-up is about the Blue Ghost 
caught on the uh, the gas station surveillance camera, we had asked our listeners if anyone lives in the area of this station to send us in a photograph of the station, of the camera, to maybe help us figure out what this blue image was that was caught on the security camera. And a few of our listeners did. So thanks, everyone. You guys are awesome. Yep, thanks, everyone, for sending Yeah, that was pictures. really cool that you guys did that. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I got a name here. Actually, the best insight that I read, um, and there, there were some good ideas, but the one that really grabbed me and really pissed me off that I didn't notice it, from a tattoo from Finland, Ske- uh, Skepu, on the boards, he noticed that the reporter, in one segment of one of, one of these clips, it shows a reporter going out, and you see her actually... You see her on the security camera. Obviously, she's it's security camera image. And her outfit is like this shade of blue. Actually, it wasn't just a one shade of blue. It actually changed yeah. from blue to purple and stuff. It was kind of going back and forth. And then, moments later, she walks inside and she has a red outfit on. So, obviously, I mean, to me, that's that's almost the key to the whole thing right there. Is that, that oh, wow. That's proof that that camera does not does not show colors properly for whatever right. reason, whether it's the color map or if there's some blue tint in front of the um, front of it. There's, the color's not accurate. So, so, the blue color of that ghost is completely irrelevant. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think, think that, that that shows that the blue color that we're seeing is is, is fake, is not, is not a true color. Uh, although there wasn't anything in front of the camera uh, in the photos that were sent to us. One of the one of our listeners who sent in a very good image was Ginger Pamieko. The one, one of the, in that picture, what I also thought was very interesting, Bob, is the wall on which the security camera was mounted was like in this, the same electric blue that the ghost image appeared. So I thought those I thought those colors were very similar. They were similar, but I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, but I'm not sure how the, that color of the border on top of the gas station, which is right behind the camera, could have an, a big impact on the actual image on the camera itself. Well, I think if, the, if light reflecting off that wall was basically throwing a blue cast on everything in front of the camera. But, Bob, the, the, the ambient light could have been blue. It's bouncing off that wall. And also, the camera did have a, uh, a plastic protector cover on it, which we, we surmised on our first run through of it, I, I think the border's a red herring. I think it's really the the, the way, just the way the camera interprets the colors, whether it's a color map or yeah, because all digital cameras just take a raw image and then you it has to convert that, including interpreting all the colors. And if it doesn't do yeah. that properly, you could you know assign completely unrealistic colors to uh, to the image. So yeah, yeah I, I yeah. just haven't heard that referred to as as a color map, but yeah, I think that's it. Right? I think that's it in a nutshell right there. It's just the way that the camera's interpreting the colors. This myth is busted. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Trademarked, right? Sorry. Yeah, so I, I think that uh well, it clearly it was something very close to the camera, but the the blue cl- color was interesting, and I think we now have plenty of information to explain yeah. that piece of, of the of the data. But, but St- Steve, one thing though, I want—I'm want to, curious: Are you leaning more towards bug now, or or more towards the blue floating bag? Yeah, I mean that definitely moves me towards the bug explanation because one of the reasons why I thought it was something plastic was because it, it was such a plastic blue color. But if the color right. is fake, then you, you take that piece away; it makes the the bug explanation much more viable. When in doubt. Assume it's bugs. It was viable even before that, but move on. <laughs> the next news item, uh, it's actually a couple of news items, are um, a few examples of death by energy medicine. And this is part of our ongoing public service announcements on people who die <laughs> of pseudoscience. These items were sent in by many, many of our 
listeners. So thanks, everyone, who sent these news items in. The first one I actually blogged about today, this is about an electronic device called the PAP-IMI device, which is was invented by and marketed by a Greek entrepreneur and mathematician called Panos Pappas. And I liken this device to the uh, Abrams radio device, the dynamizer and the siliclast. Very, very similar. It's just, you know, a very fancy looking machine that connects to like a halo that you put on top of your head and it creates an electromagnetic field. And it's a type of energy medicine. And this electromagnetic energy, you know, it, it cures whatever ails you. And sparks come flying off the thing, right? Yeah, well, he has a metal... He also has a metal chain on his head, and this picture on his on the news item and on the website he, that so it's the the electrical spark between the device and this metal chain that's creating the sparks. It's not just coming off the device itself. That's it doesn't normally do that just in its normal operation. Yeah, that would be silly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be silly. Let's not get crazy now. If you read his website, he's got all of the you know the pseudoscientific mumbo jumbo that people use to sell this device. He says it's based on frequencies spectrum. Ooh, that sounds very scientific. And he mm-hmm. says physicists should forget E equals MC squared. <laughs> Done. Done. Oh, yeah, forget it. It's, it's over now, boys. <laughs> Einstein, you fool. He claims that his machine treats inflammation and improves oxygen. His English is a little broken. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it's basically, as I said, it's a mishmash of typical quack mumbo-jumbo, just trying to impress... The uninitiated. The picture of it looks like a shop vac. Yeah. <laughs> or like a funny looking robot. <laughs> it's awesome. I, I would love to have one of these just kicking around the house. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, he's selling this as a medical device. Now, in the United States, uh, medical devices have to be have to get past the FDA. But if it's not a drug, I mean, the FDA actually doesn't need to approve devices just to be used. You just have to register, actually, the company that manufactures the device with the FDA. The only thing you can't do is make disease claims. But you can register it as a research device and then do research with it. So that's what he did. That was the scam, is that he he basically sold it to clinics purportedly so that they could do research. Then they have to get research approval, what's called an IRB, or Investigational Research Bureau approval, for it. And some of them didn't do that, so some of them didn't even go through with the, with the mechanics of the scam as it was laid out. But they then were charging people for treatment, which you're not supposed to do if you're doing a study. Uh, and you know, making money hand over fist, charging people for this experimental therapy. Um, it was really very, very despicable the way the whole thing was done. The uh, the news item. This was the there was a news report about this in the Seattle Times, and the, and the Seattle Times journalists Christine Wilmson and Michael Barons actually did a very good job of reporting on this. So I always like to see good journalism in the mainstream media. It is, in my experience, more the exception than the rule. So you have to give it kudos when it happens. Uh, they start their story with. An anecdote, which is, which is typical, but this is uh, Natalia Campos, who was a mother who had a, fif- a five-month-old child with cancer. The doctors were recommending chemotherapy, but she decided to have her five- five-month-old treated with the PAP-IMI device instead. The treatments failed, uh, and, and the child unfortunately died. So, And that was you know, just one 
one such story. There are actually many stories were cropping up of people who deferred treatment while they were getting treated, you know, deferred effective treatment in order to be treated by this, this uh, fraudulent device. Pappas c- continues to claim that his machine is safe, that it can cure cancer and AIDS. That's a huge red flag, by the way. When somebody claims that one treatment cures two different diseases that are mechanistically completely different. You know, yeah, it cures cancer and an infection. Red flag. It's like a whole. It's like a hundred red flags. Yeah, yeah. It seem. He, he. This guy was quite an operator. He convinced the San Francisco 49ers to use it, and then got their endorsement for it. So he's, he's very good, oh very effective God. salesman. They're two and eight this year so far. Yeah, right. yeah. So yeah, not much of an endorsement. <laughs> Eventually, you know, the the FDA caught up with what was going on here, and there were complaints about you know people getting injured by it directly as well as you know it not working. And they eventually shut it down, although they never warned the public about this. And so the, the article is also very critical of the FDA for like not issuing a, any kind of warning publicly about this. They just shut it down, and the guy had to flee to Europe, to, you know, to, you know, with his millions. You know, he made his millions and then fled the country. There are actually still clinics using it today. Still clinics around you are still. Could using you it imagine today. strapping your baby onto this thing? I mean. You know, it's, now the, it's very look, sad. It's very. I'm looking sad. at the picture of the device now, and I'm just imagining a baby on it, and it just makes me sick. Like, come on. Yeah. So, I mean, the, yeah, this one slipped through the cracks. Yeah, the FDA did not do their job on this one, and you know, just the, the, the mumbo jumbo is the same. It's energy medicine. It's just it's very slick and sexy. You know, it's clearly pseudoscientific. And to me, you know, reading it, it's like, this is crafted by a con artist. That is the sense I get off of the kind of claims this guy's made. This guy doesn't believe a word he's saying, in my opinion. And this is, has that crafted feel to it, like somebody who just says, I'm going to just take this, say all the typical things that people want to hear, make myself some millions, and I don't care that I'm going to be killing people in the process. The next news item is, is uh, very similar. Yeah, it's a real cheery day here on the Skeptics Guide. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy your turkey. This one's reported by also the Seattle Times by the same journalist, so I think this is part like of a series that they're doing. I hope they keep going. Yeah. And again, it's you know, people falling for fraudulent therapies and, and delaying treatment. This one is photoluminescence which is another form of energy medicine using light waves. And the way it works is you take a vial of blood, expose it to ultraviolet light from, again, this, you know, some, new, some device, some impressive-looking device, then inject the treated blood back into a hydrogen peroxide solution and then into the patient, apparently. Again, the story that they used to, to um, illustrate what happened, uh, David and Laura Flanagan in Denver. What, does it give you? Does it give you a nice tan or something? Yeah, I don't, yeah, maybe, maybe you get a tan of it. So they, their teenage son was facing again cancer, and um, they didn't want to go through all you know the conventional therapy. He, had, he was in terrible pain from late stage bone cancer. Their son Sean. So they they uh, took Sean instead to a naturopathic doctor who used this photoluminescence therapy. They, and the Flanagans were somewhat reassured by the fact that this quote-unquote doctor had certification and accreditations, uh, so they seemed legitimate. And of course, the treatment does absolutely nothing. He, the, the, the naturopath said it would not only cure the cancer, it would also cure the pain that, that Sean was in. You know, bone cancer pain is like the worst pain that there is. That is, yeah. that is torture. I mean, that is a terrible, terrible, very agonizing death. And... The treatment failed, 
Sean continued to be in, in horrible, horrible pain and then died under the ministrations of this naturopath. Another case for people who ask, well, what harm does it cause? Yeah. Yeah. What harm does it, people, it makes people feel better. What harm does it cause? Because then they buy into this stuff when they're really sick. Then they fall prey, you know, to, to, you know, this level of claims. So the, the article, we'll link to both of these articles. They're, they're very good. And this one, you know, focuses a lot on the fact that there are lots of unaccredited schools giving out, you know, really completely worthless alternative medicine degrees. And then even in those states, you know, where naturopaths are licensed, it still doesn't mean anything, you know, because it's not a scientific discipline. So, you know, having a degree in nonsense is no uh, assurance. And again, there's countless, countless forms of these energy medicine devices. And it really is no different than, you know, a hundred years ago, almost now, when Dr. Abrams had his little black box that used radio waves to diagnose and cure anything. It's the same thing. It's, it's really, we haven't come any distance at all, you know, from uh, this kind of patent medicine quackery from a hundred years ago. The next news item, a bit lighter. Interesting. Yes. This one Could it is possibly a- not be lighter? <laughs> A new study which looks at something that we talk a lot about as skeptics, the fallibility of human memory. Yes. One of the things that really sharply divides skeptics and believers is, is the fact that, you know, skeptics study all the different ways in which we can, people deceive themselves and the ways in which our, our memories are flawed and we arrive at conclusions which are not true, whereas people who are less than skeptical or who are believers are not as aware uh, and careful about such things, and therefore they fall into all the traps and all the pitfalls. So this is just looking at one specific piece of that. And, and Bob, you sent me this link, right, yeah. to this study. It seems that uh, the memories are even more fragile than we even thought. Now, we're all, as good skeptics, we know how fallible memories can be. They, can, they distort over time. Every time you recall a memory, you can be making subtle changes to it. Um, just talking to somebody about a memory you had can introduce changes in it that you, you wouldn't even recognize. And then months or years later, when you recall that memory, you're going to be recalling this new modified memory, you know, unbeknownst to you. Even flashbulb memories are unreliable. Those are memories that happen during, you know, let's say like uh, the JFK assassination or the Challenger shuttle explosion, these uh, high-stress, high-profile events that just seems like the memory is just burned, in, you know, burned into your brain. They're not, they're not reliable either. So here's another here's yet another way that that memories can fail us. Uh, researchers have found that uh, memories can be manipulated by photographs. Mm-hmm. The study published in the Journal of Applied Cognitive Psychology uh, was created by UC Irvine psychologist Elizabeth Loftus, who is um, who's written lots of books, written lots of articles. A couple of the books she wrote, Eyewitness Testimony, and the other one is The Myth of Her repressed memory Mm -hmm. um the the study was run by university of padua researchers franca franca agnoli and dario sacci and in the study they took about just under 300 people aged 19 to 84 and they showed them a couple photographs there was two two photographs and they made two versions of each one they had an original or a doctored a digitally altered image one image was the famous 1989 tiananmen square protest in Beijing. We all remember that picture of that one lone student standing in front of a line of tanks. I wonder how he's doing these days, that student. I I think he's in jail. I think I read that somewhere. I think he's dead. I I think, well, that's probably a safe assumption. The other image was from a 2003 anti-war protest in Rome. Now, 
the normal one, the normal pictures were just as hopefully you remember them, but the doctored ones showed, for example, the Tiananmen Square showed lots of crowds, lots lots of people all around mm-hmm. uh, that weren't that weren't there before. The uh, the anti anti war protest in Rome, uh, which was peaceful, it was a, a peaceful protest. It showed they inserted riot police, they inserted um, a masked uh, kind of like a really intimidating looking protester and uh and then of course they they talked to these people and asked them questions about uh th- their memories of of these images now it wasn't clear if these people actually um are going by just their memory of the photograph or actually also their memory of of um i don't know if some of these people were actually at the anti-war protest in rome i kind of get the feeling that some of these people were actually there and afterwards, they, they realized that these people who viewed the doctored photograph, they recalled this demonstration, which was peaceful. They recalled it as violent and negative. And they also somehow recalled more physical confrontation and, and property damage. And they also said that they, were, they would be less inclined to participate in future protests, which is pretty much completely – that feeling was completely fabricated by these doctors, doctored photographs. Mm-hmm. Now, Elizabeth Loftus – she had a couple of good, good quotes. She said that when, when the media use di- digitally doctored photographs, they may ultimately change the way we recall history. She also said that it's potentially a form of human engineering that could be applied to us against our knowledge and against our wishes, and we mm-hmm. ought to be vigil- vigilant about it. It's true. If you remember, even it was just a few years ago, right, that there was that controversy over the digital photo where the, uh, the, the photographer enhanced it a little bit, like added a helicopter or something to make the scene right. look a little bit more interesting. But it also made the scene look a little bit more menacing. And that created a huge controversy. And this is evidence that we really do need to be concerned about that because you actually are manipulating the perceptions and the memories even of people about those events. I remember National Geographic uh, did a cover shot of some of the uh, some pyramids in Egypt and they actually they tweaked it a little bit to move them a little closer so that the you know, so the picture was more interesting and uh, they they got a lot of flack for that and mm-hmm. th- there's tons there's tons of stories of newspapers and magazines you know issuing apologies you know about unwittingly letting these doctored photographs on their on their cover and it really seems like there's a really really good reason uh, to, to be vigilant about that. Now, although this is adding a very relevant and interesting piece to this whole story, it really is nothing new. I mean, we know this, right? This is All of the memory research that's been done so far shows that this is the case, how easily we could manip- our memories can be fabricated and manipulated. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. I'm not surprised at absolutely. this at all. In fact, we were just talking about this the other day. There's the um, I, I was mentioning that... Richard Wiseman's book, Quarkology, has an example of this where researchers showed people photographs that they had doctored um, to make up a childhood memory of them in a hot air balloon. And they showed these photos to the subjects and the subjects described what happened in the photos in detail, even though the situation never actually occurred. So it's really amazing the way that... You know, so, something so simple can affect your your memories. Yeah, right. So when believers say, you know, this person saw a ghost, why would you doubt them? Or he saw a UFO, or this happened. They swear this happened. It's like, well, you know what? I will never be convinced by any anecdotal report ever, especially of something extremely unlikely or paranormal or unusual. Memory is not a reliable piece of data. The, all of the evidence. The memory research shows that you absolutely cannot rely upon that. And that's a critical piece. That is a critical thing 
for you know any skeptic to understand. Plural of anecdote is not evidence. Right. <laughs> well, over the weekend, all of us except for Bob, Bob was un- unfortunately not available, visited the Connecticut Psychic Fair. And and we, we had did indeed. We, it was it was it was a lot of fun actually. Jay and Evan and I sat for a reading. Actually, it was uh, the psychic was reading Jay. Uh, and Evan and I were there, you know, just to observe. And Evan was recording it. Um, Evan, you have some some audio audio clips from this. Yeah, let me go ahead and play the first clip. Yeah, why don't you get yeah, play the first one? I call this one Jay's pain. Here it is. Recently, I don't know. It's, I get all broken bones here. It's a tragic accident. It's connected to you. I, I see you get. I can't think of anything. Connected. You can't. Let me think about it. Do you get any pressure in here? Do you have TMG or whatever they call it? I have sinusitis, but I don't know if that's me or... Is it or... painful? Yeah. All right, because I'm getting this horrible pain. This must be you guide them sending that into me. I'm just telling you, have you had it taken care of recently? There's nothing I can do about it. Because it's, just... it's going to be more full-blown. Are you getting any ears? I get an empty pain. I get the earaches all the time. Oh, yeah, because yeah, I'm feeling it. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you have TMG, Jay? <laughs> I got TNT, I got TMG, I got... (laughs) You got three letters all over the place. She's trying to refer to TMJ syndrome, which is a pain in the the jaw joint. And that's incredible how she managed to just keep trying and trying and trying until she got something. And it was such a stretch that she had to thank you at the end for making the connection (laughs) for her. Jay, give a quick background, though, for the listeners. What what was she talking about? Oh, here's here's what, what we did. And here's what we did. You know, the, the background story is this was Rebecca's idea, if you guys remember. She she had planned on doing this, wanted to go get some material for her um, for her radio show that she's working on. She's working on the pilot now. So she uh, told us last week during the recording of the show if we were interested, and we all jumped on it. We all were very interested. And what I did was I just started to think immediately, what can I do that would be fun or funny or a way to like have the psychic just go off on something that I didn't, I, you know, I'm just going to like feed her one thing and have her go off on it. And the the most obvious thing was I'm just going to make some funny picture. So I ended up taking a picture of me and my wife, Cheryl, I think over the summer, last summer in New York city, it was a nighttime shot. And what I did was I photoshopped a very faint skull hovering over my right hand shoulder. My left hand shoulder. I'm sorry. I printed it out on regular paper in the printer, and then and it was well done. It was subtle, it was subtle. but obviously yeah. skull like. Now, before we talk about about the skull picture thing that you photoshopped in, Jay, just to well, you can hear her talking about it in that clip. So Jay shows her the picture of him and Cheryl. And he says, you know, I'm interested, you know, in you telling me about this. Well, it was more of like I wanted to know about the about the girl in the picture. I yeah, right. So she, yeah, she assumes you know, that you want a reading about the girl, and Cheryl wasn't there. So she did the high probability cold reading thing. She assumed that the girl in the photo is dead, and if you have a young girl, chances are she died traumatically. So then she went for the car accident. That was her guess. So she said, I'm getting pain in the cheekbones, like every bone in her face was shattered. Right? So she was going for this. Is, you know, she, she was killed in a car accident. You know, if you hit the windshield, your, your face gets shattered. And that was a complete and total miss because Cheryl's obviously not dead. So then she had to morph that into, well, maybe it's about you and maybe it's sinus pain and or whatever or wow. TMJ or whatever <laughs> TMG. TMG. TMG, yeah. and then <laughs> and Jay then threw her the bone and said yeah he I got suggested sinusitis. sinus pain 
So that was an obvious attempt on her part, just going for the high probability hit. And then when it was wrong, she recovered. Yeah, she guessed right on sinusitis when you told her that's what it was, Jay. Good job. I didn't want to come off like everything she was saying was wrong because she would have... I just didn't want her to get the idea that we were there trying to make her look stupid. I wanted to give her some hits. So I did agree with her from time to time. Yeah, yeah, you gave her a couple of false positives just to keep her going. Yeah, you did. It's pretty funny, though, how a tragic accident with broken facial bones morphs into sinusitis. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Nice. And she said clearly that, you know, she said said of Cheryl, she's angelic. Yeah. Right, so she was implying that she's dead. It's true. She thought she was dead. She's very pretty. (laughs) Well, she was definitely, yeah, she was definitely going down the road of the girl in the picture is dead, and this guy wants to get some, you know, beyond the grave. Closure. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, maybe we should play the next clip and see what else she has to say. So so here we go. This entity, this spirit, is somebody that's been following you around, that's been for your life, most of your lifetime, since you were very, very young. It attached itself to you. It's like it's a. how do we say it? How do we call it? I want to say an entity. Oh, I'm sorry. I covered my mouth. Oh, you, you had an idea? I was going to suggest maybe it's uh, like parasitic in some way. Yeah, it, it was a living person. It just didn't transport to the other really? side. Now, very younger, did you live in an older house? I think this is where... This spirit comes with you everywhere Actually, you go. Actually, yeah, I did. Yes, that's where you picked up this energy. Oh, I really that's a lie. this is a young boy <laughs> that attached himself to you. He's very easy to cleanse. I seriously can cleanse him, but I'd like to see if he's in other pictures. Yeah, so yeah. so a young boy attached himself to that's you. That's the gray entity in the picture. That's the skull. The yeah, skull-like so she, image. And, and Jay, you asked her, are you feeling anything off of this? And she said, oh, yes, she felt the energy off that picture. So she wasn't just interpreting what you photoshopped into the image. She clearly said that she felt an energy off of it. Well, I mean, she talked about the the girl in the picture for about fifteen seconds, and then she just went to town on the entity there. Remember, like she yeah. she sees it, and as soon as she caught eye of it and kind of focused in on that, that was it. That that's what the discussion became about. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing is that Jay acts like he has never seen the skull before. <laughs> like, oh, 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 you're right. Oh my God, there is a skull there. Yeah, I can't yeah, believe yeah. that. <laughs> hey, everybody, look at the skull. You might hear- <laughs> It, depending on what clips we play from there, I, I acted kind of like I was scared about it. Yeah. It makes me very scary. You know, I just wanted to, her to think I was disturbed by it. And she kept telling me over and over and over again, no, it's okay. It's nothing to worry about. It's nothing to worry about. Well, she was right about that. <laughs> well, I had asked her if it was parasitic in some way, and she obviously had no clue even what that word meant. Yeah. Um, well, she she's gi- yeah, she was giving us like the John Edwards, you know, cold reading entity one hundred and one kind of backstory. You know, this is a little boy who died. who was buried in, in on your property. You picked him up in the old house you lived in when you were younger, and now he's following you around. And, and let's be clear, that was uh, the John Edward treatment, not the John Edwards treatment. That's a completely different thing. One is a psychic, and one is a presidential candidate. The John Edward treatment. Uh, but if you if you notice, and she did this a few times, and I wanted to play one clip where she said that. She, she said, I seriously could cleanse this for you. She was definitely fishing to see if Jay was going to bite on her offer to cleanse this entity from Jay. And we, we talked a lot about the, you know, the few psychics that we sat with, and you know, did we think that they were sincere or they were con artists? And again, my personal opinion on this one is that she didn't believe a damn word she was saying. I mean, she, it was, I, th- I thought that she was 
you know, one of these cynical con artists who is who knows exactly what they're doing, and and she just has her act. And part of that is fishing for these extra services like cleansing the entities. I think that's why she went right to that little gray blob, and 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 started riffing on the entity bit. You know, I I kind of got that impression too, Steve. I just felt like she wasn't being that genuine, or you know, I just. Mm-hmm. I've had I've had readings done by many people over the years, and I typically feel that about them. I don't usually get a sincerity or or, or a real intensity from them. I typically get this blasé kind of like, okay, I've said this a million times, and here yeah. we go. You well, know, well, but guys, this woman has experience that none of us have, and only she has. So maybe I'll play the next clip here, and you'll see what I mean by that. So here you go. Woman, I'm getting angelic, almost like she's been a rebirth. A lot of us do rebirth. I don't understand it. I've been pronounced dead several times. I'm not going to lie. I've been to the other side. I've been to the tunnel. I watch my body work on it. I've, I've talked to my relatives. I've talked to beings on the other side. This is what I feel from this woman. This woman has been to the other side. She's been dead many times. She's seen the other side. She's talked to her relatives on the other side. And apparently there's baked beans over there, too. Uh, beings. That would be beings. Oh, beings. Oh, all right. How many times can a person die? Seriously. Like, oh. how many times? Once. At least if you're a cat. I mean, nine, eight times. Is she a daredevil in her in her yeah, right, right. What is she running around with knives taped to her abdomen? Like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> well, Something's you'll notice wrong. also, I just wanted to point out the other cold reading recovery technique is that she now that she knows that Cheryl's not dead, now she's trying to reinterpret what she said as she had a rebirth, right? So death is transitioned. Maybe she didn't really die. Maybe she had some kind of rebirth. That's the energy. That's the feeling she's getting off of Cheryl. So that's just one of the classic recovery techniques when they have a miss like that. Jay, you should have her uh, – took her up on her, uh, her offer to cleanse you. Well, she showed us how she does it, Bob, and it was very – it it was abs- it was beyond absurd. Like I was expecting. Is it like a sponge bath? Well, I <laughs> my first impression was she's going to want me to light a candle and do some type of ritual, or whatever. Now this is what she did. She took she took her uh, her right hand, put it on her left upper arm, and swept down her arm once, swept down her arm twice, and then kind of shook her hand like she was shaking water off of it. And yeah, was and it. said you don't belong here. Yeah, you don't belong. You don't here. belong here. So maybe it. instead you can get one of those well, automatic dryers they have in the restrooms that you just put your hands under. A spirit dryer? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of anticlimactic, yeah. the whole cleansing bit. Yeah, I thought it was going to be more of a rigmarole, you know? That's lame. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of lame. But Jay, I was thinking, first off, I'm curious as to what she would have charged you. And secondly, it would have left it wide open for you to go back to her at some point in the future yeah. with another, with yet another picture. And this time, you've got a demon face behind you that is so pissed and nasty. Like, look what you did. Yeah. Look who's behind me now. Now she, Bob, <laughs> I tell her, I just took this picture a half an hour ago and I'm screwed. <laughs> you got that like, omen thing coming down the picture to cut your head off. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. On the omen? Yep, yep. Right. Slice your neck. She she also utilizes she has help in the form of a spirit. Oh, yes, this, this is Bobby good. Gray. Bobby Listen Gray. Listen to this one. Listen Bobby to this Gray. one. This entity grew with you. I'm telling you. Let me ask. Bobby, I work with a guy named Bobby Gray, and he comes with me a lot to the fairs. His name is Bobby. Um, Bobby, I'm getting the number twenty nine for this young man. Is this correct? Is that the number? Yes. 
Um, he was he he was buried near that property. He definitely was buried there. He was buried he was buried on this property. Um, probably 29 years before you got there. You you got there. You were a little kid. He jumped in. He's just using your body, not in a bad way. Yeah, he's okay. not a bad way. All right, wait. Now before before uh, we we tell the listeners what's happening, I want every listener out there that just heard that to picture what was she doing when she was talking to her to her guy what was what was going on what was she doing was she kind of did she tilt her head and kind of talk into her collar okay type of thing that's how i pictured it's like she was talking into a walkie-talkie but actually she was using one one of those crystals that's on uh, on a chain you know the kind that they swing around and she's a crystal pendulum yeah yeah she was talking to the guy (laughs) through that that was her communicator Wow! Oh dear God! Apparently, and it was like on demand. demand. I mean, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. it was, she wasn't trying to contact him. Bobby was right there with her, and she just talked to him spontaneously. You know, without yeah, there was no time for the ringing or no. Hey, these no. were fifteen minute sessions. Dialing. She didn't have time for all the rigmarole, right? So she had she had to go <laughs> right to Bobby. You know. So either you guys are correct, and she is aware that she's running a con, or she is just. Out of her mind. Yeah, she is fantasy insane. prone to the max. Yeah, you're right. One or the um, other, but um, it was just a little bit too, uh, you know, just too on the money and too, you know, on time. It, it was just, it was mechanical. It was the whole thing was very mechanical. That's almost creepy. Yeah, yeah. I also would like to bring up. We we discussed this afterwards, but I want I want to tell our listeners about um, even someone that's been through this many times, and you know I'm. Receiving a cold reading like that and, and having someone tell me my fortune, you know, it, it's a joke to me and it's actually entertaining and funny. But I have to admit, because I'm a human locked in a human body, I wanted her to be right and I felt compelled, very obviously in the front of my thinking, I wanted to confirm what she was saying. I wanted to help mm-hmm. her figure out the pathway to get to real information. It's just human yeah. nature. I didn't want to tell her, you're wrong. Your information is bad. I wanted to agree with her. One of the interesting things about our experience, we all had this experience that day, was it, you know, it gives you a little bit more insight into the psychology of the whole psychic-client relationship. And even though we sort of knew this intellectually from reading about it, and you know, we've had some experience with it before, it is different to actually experience it yourself. You're sitting in front of a psychic. You do. You're embarrassed for them when they're doing so terribly, even though as skeptics and for this show, we wanted them to fail miserably. Just as a person, it was uncomfortable, and, it was, and you didn't want them to fail. You almost wanted them to succeed. And it, what you did have, you do have to discipline yourself not to constantly feed them the information they're looking for, or so laugh you, in their know, face. One, one psychic that I sat down with with Steve, her main um, trick was to say something, and it was a complete and utter miss. But then she would just stare; she would just yeah. stare at us, and there's this horrible, uncomfortable silence. And the normal human reaction is to rush to fill it with words <laughs> like oh well i i do have a cousin named bob i guess and yeah we talked about know, that before uh, you the need for closure actually will make you you know, fill those gaps in and yeah yeah and uh, again was so the jay was feeding sort of positive feedback to his psychic when rebecca and i sat down with another woman we did the no feedback thing it's all you babe and she was miss yeah. after miss after miss after miss and we gave her nothing and it She's really got getting kind of angry yeah she got very <laughs> uptight very angry she was it was very uncomfortable and 
uh, you could definitely see how people would would twist, <laughs> would uh, do, bend over backwards to fit whatever she was saying. You know, yeah, to ourselves in some way. Well, yeah. Let me just play the last clip uh, of uh, uh, the last bit of wisdom she had for, right, for Jay. Yeah, so let, let's finish up on Jay's psychic. Go ahead. All right. Evan. Here's the last clip. But you're also very gifted. You have a huge, huge, huge. No, wait, wait, <laughs> wait, sorry. wait, 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 finish that? Te- what did she say? Technical, what, what is something it? about huge, you have something huge. I think Jay. you got it cut off there, Evan. Oh, okay, hang on, let me try this again. Alright, this is, hang on, here we go. But you're also very gifted, you have a huge, huge, huge spirit around you. Like oh, oh, oh no, spirit. this is like an <laughs> it's a spirit. Is, I want to show you what you got around you. It won't do you justice because this is what we call God. I don't read cards per se, this is what you got behind you. That's why you're so well protected. Oh, I won't. Everybody's born with a million angels, so I won't exactly say that's. Yeah, that's what you have behind you. You have an angel like that. That's like God sitting on your head. God is okay. Wait, it's like God's got. God, first of all, God is sitting on your head. Yeah, God is sitting on his head. Oh, uh, so a tarot card with like a picture of an angelic figure on it. Yeah, it was. Oh, like, okay. So a couple observations cool. just to, uh, Man, on this see, one. I could see someone who isn't a skeptic like having a psychic tell them that and have them get excited or happy about that too because it's her telling me of course that God is sitting on your me. head yeah that's huge yeah Jay you lucky huge. bastard one of the observations I've made is that she was extremely positive yeah in everything that she said even though she was talking about the entity it was a gray entity maybe she was trying to scare you just enough so that you, you know you would pay her to cleanse it but in general everything was positive this is all about you you have this uh, angel about you that's protecting you and you know uh, you know, and that was but all the psychics that we met with today also went, went out of their way to be extremely positive. You know, they never tell you, yeah. "Oh, I see financial ruin in your future." You know, it's always yeah. what you want to hear, and I think that's just what she was doing. And again, the emotional reaction you have is, you know, it makes you feel good about yourself, even though it's total BS. I mean, there's still the, just the, the psychological aspect of having somebody being so positive and effusive towards you. It, it has an effect, you know. Steve, is there st- yeah. statistically? Do you think that uh, because I brought in a picture of a, of a woman with me, statistically, do people typically bring in pictures of dead people, and that's why she 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 went there? Well, it's funny you should bring that up because oh, um, yeah. I brought in a photo. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I brought in a photo that Evan happened to have with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we when we walked in, we found out that some of the psychics there could, in fact, do readings for people who were not there, so long as we had a photo handy. So I took a photo to another psychic and sat down with her and asked her if she could please do a reading for my friend in the photo who's named Perry. Mm -hmm. And just so you guys know, Perry is going to have a really, really good six months coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Investments that he'll be making at the end of this month will really pay off in February. Mm -hmm. And just a lot of really good financial stuff will be happening. And also something good with his love life. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously uh, not everybody is bringing in pictures of um, dead people because otherwise I think... This, my psychic probably would have started off asking whether or not the person who I was asking to be read was, yeah. in fact, But she didn't. Alive. She didn't even fish for that. She just assumed, I, I don't know she didn't. why, what vibe she was getting, but she assumed that Perry was alive. 
Yeah, I didn't I didn't hint at that at all. All I did was ask her to please give me a reading for this man, my friend. Yeah. And uh she went on for like ten minutes all about what a great time Perry was gonna be having coming up. And all I could keep thinking was, Oh man, I really wish Perry were here. Oh god, he would he this. would have loved that. He would be he'd, cracking he'd up. It. If there is an afterlife and he was able to appear to her it probably would have been the awesomest thing ever. Right. And I, yeah, I even asked um, to if she could read his recent past in the past few months. And she said, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then she went right back into the same sort of stuff. Like, um, there was a business meeting he had. Overall, it was a positive couple of months and blah, blah, blah. Just typical stuff. Nothing about getting very, very ill and... You know, yeah, dying. Right. Um, That's a minor, minor event, though, in, in Perry's recent. Minor. Yeah. It just occurred to me, like how hysterical Perry would have yeah. found that whole thing. I mean, the whole um, day, you know, comparing notes, the psychics had had a hit rate of zero, even on like high probability fifty fifty things. So our negative skeptical energy was really working that day because they were... It was really working. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. were people in there laying down their dollars. One woman went to three different psychics. She had 60 bucks with her. It's uh, Yeah, that was that was me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Besides you. Yeah. I loved and, it. I couldn't stop. Yeah. And, if she, and if she hadn't run out of money, she'd have gone back for more. Yeah. Yeah, there, there was a constant crowd. Uh, you know, it wasn't a huge place but um it was, it was, busy it was a fairly size, small yeah. conference room yeah. but yeah a couple grand that day i'm sure oh definitely the the way it worked was um every 15 minutes a bell would ring and all the readings that were going on would stop those people would leave and then a new group would come and sit down and there was pretty much always people sitting in the chairs waiting to sit down with the psychic mm-hmm. and for the most part the psychics were just constantly doing readings at yeah. 20 bucks a pop. Right. Oh. So they did well. And they that was that was Saturday. There was another one on Sunday in a different hotel, also in Connecticut. And it seems like they do these, um, you know, pretty, pretty often, like sure. once a month. Yeah, yeah they, a month they said they're there every every couple months. Every other week. Yeah. Every other week. Every oh, other week. Um, was it every other week? Wow. Is when they have mm-hmm. one of these, yeah. A couple other highlights from from the day. Evan and I interviewed uh, the woman who was selling the dowsing pendulums, and her stick was, mm-hmm. you know, again it was very unimaginative, right out of you know the playbook. And so, so these are the you know you hold the little pendulum in your hand. In one hand, you hold it over the, your other palm, and then you ask it yes or no questions, and then it moves back and forth or side to side, and uh, you know it's dowsing. It's yes or no dowsing. Yep. The funny thing about her demonstration, and you know, it was hard for Evan and I not to laugh when she was demonstrating for us, is that her hand movements were not subtle at all. I mean, she was f- obviously physically moving her hand back and forth to make the pendulum move back and forth. Or f- and Steve, she and she even said, she said, "See, I'm not moving my hand." Yeah. So yeah, at, at one point in time, she wanted to show us how energized her merchandise was. So she held the pendulum over it and like. You know, swung the pendulum around, and then once it got going, she held her hand still and said, "See, I'm not moving it." I mean, it was it was pathetic. It was so obvious. There was no subtle idiomotor effect on her. Uh, That was the idio stupid effect, I think. Yeah, that's right. 
Well, she struck me as the type who actually believed in what she was doing. Yeah, but that was... I didn't talk to her I was shocked by how obvious her hand movements were, you know? Right, but do you think that it was obvious to her? You know, that I don't know. Steve, she didn't even say, hey, look over there. No, it was... No. And I did it, and I, I, you know, so she was teaching me how to do it, and I was trying to keep my hand still, and the pendulum would move. I mean, that's the idiom. That was like a true idiomotor effect, and it was moving in the way that it was supposed to move based upon the questions that I was asking. But her hand movements were just, she was just winging that thing around. She was winding up for a fastball at one point. It was (laughs) was really funny. Rebecca, did you hear someone talking to this woman about not getting surgery? While we were waiting to sit with a psychic, I overheard a woman at the table full of crystals and pendulums. She was a customer, and she picked up one of the pendulums, and the woman taught her how to use it really quickly and then walked away. And uh, I overheard the woman first asking, should we be here today? You know, just like a tester question, I guess. And Hmm. I'm assuming she got a yes. And uh, the next question was, yeah, something about... um, an upcoming surgery and she seemed she got very quiet and you know she was just sort of doing it under her breath you know to herself yeah. and it just struck me she was I, I i think she was just one of those people who probably has a lot going on and right who, that reminds me of that twilight zone episode with william shatner remember when they were asking all the questions of the demon bobblehead you know yes oh, you know, yeah. fortune telling machine and it totally controlled their whole life remember that yeah, yeah. right yeah mm, you could no. just see that well, should analogy. i get the surgery <gasps> no you know <laughs> it's like a magic eight ball <laughs> we laugh but i mean people you know, think about you know mischief that can cause in someone's life it's really it's really sad well it's it's someone possibly and i'm extrapolating based upon one small thing I overheard under her breath, but I'm picturing someone who has a lot of things going on that's out of her control, and you know, these are the little things that you grab a hold of when there's a chance that maybe there is something in Mm -hmm. your life you can control, and I think that's the sort of thing that these crystals offer, is some sense of control Mm -hmm. over the greater universe. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The whole thing, the whole psychic thing is all about the illusion of control. You know, it's also very narcissistic too, and that's why they're so positive and effusive and this is all about you. Oh, but yeah. Definitely it's to to give people that sense of control. The magic eight ball. Uh, magic eight ball. Should I go see the doctor? Try ask again later. <laughs> the, the last bit of our day at the fair was we um, there was a, a, another booth uh, run by a gentleman who runs a ghost hunting you know paranormal society, and um, very quickly he we asked him to show us his best ghost photo. And, best one. Yeah, so he showed us this, this like close up of a window, and in the window there's a smudge, you know, and the smudge you know with a little bit of pareidolia you could see like half a head and a shoulder. You know, and then like just a straight line, which would complete uh, like a standing person. But it was it was only like half, and it was a smudge. You know, there was no detail, and it was just like just barely suggesting, you know, a head and, and shoulders and an arm. Yeah, it was a pretty grainy shot. Yeah, like you know, of course we're all thinking the same thing. Eh, okay, you know, it's a pareidolia smudge. That's and that was the best thing that he had. But what's better uh-huh. is that that was actually an extreme close up, and he showed us the original photograph. And it was a pullback of a, of, of a large room. It was a you know, and that window was a tiny little window in this photo. I mean, yeah, he, probably there was occupied smudge- like 
five percent of the photograph. Yeah, and there were smudges all over the place. I mean, I would be <laughs> if you couldn't find something with some pareidolia in that picture, I would be shocked. And that was his best picture. That was the best thing he That's got. That's his yeah. best evidence. Well, then he yeah. showed us this other one. He said he he'd been doing it for how many years? Twenty years? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Well. And he showed us this other picture, which was an outdoor picture, nighttime with a, with a very strong flash, and it it looked like flashback from a couple of snowflakes or something. And it, it was just it didn't you know, look like flashback, Jay. It was flashback. It was I mean, flashback. You, you know, it was flashback. He was a strong flash and a dark photo, and and it the, the flash was washed out the closer the. Uh, the foreground got to the camera, and there were white splotches on the photograph. You know, I mean, any photographer would tell you, that's flashback. The, and he also said the classic thing, which which is also common in this, you know, subculture, is that he sent his his film negatives to Kodak, and Kodak said that they could not explain these photos. Now, the Warrens pulled that one on us. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Actually, oh, that yeah. was Perry and I were at that particular event, but what Kodak will tell you if you send them the negatives, they'll tell you one of two things. Was this stock of film normal? So they can look up the number and see if there's any mm-hmm. problems with that stock. And two is, was there anything abnormal in the development process? That's it. That's all they'll tell you. They don't tell you anything about the how the picture got on the film. Yeah, or the content of the photo. Yeah, they don't nothing. Any they're not that. photographers. I mean, they're not telling you about the photography of the picture or the camera or anything. Just was the film normal? Was the development normal? That's it. But, pe- but and, the you know, ghost hunters, yeah. Yeah, and the, the ghost photographs are not caused by either development or film problems. They're caused by f- photographic effects. They, they use that to try to lend legitimacy to the photo. See, Kodak says there's no materialistic or natural explanation for it. So, therefore, it's a ghost, you know. Well, I, I wanted to, to keep a lot of time on this week's show to talk about our Psychic Fair experience, because I think it was very interesting. We're just going to do one quick email. This is a correction from last week. In the science or fiction segment last week, I talked about a study that looked at the rates of male and female evolution, and the point of the study was that males evolve more quickly than females because they have two sex chromosomes, XY, and females have one, XX, and therefore the re- recessive genes would propagate phenotypes or, or features much more quickly. I used as an example, again, I was reading from the press release uh, of this study, that uh, birds, male birds, evolve more quickly than female birds, whether it's you know, bright plumage or the complexity of their warbling. And this is an example of sexual selection, female birds selecting male birds. The, and that is the example that the the uh, the article gave. However, several readers pointed out, and I'll read just w- read one quick email. This one comes from he, he, the name on the email was Meme Gene from Seattle, and Meme writes uh, regarding the science fiction segment. While male mammals have an XY chromosome and so p- present changes in phenotype easily, don't male birds actually carry two sex chromosomes of the same type, ZZ, while females carry different ones, ZY? Wouldn't this mean that the mechanism for phenotype is different between birds and mammals? Thanks. Uh, And yes, that is correct, and many people pointed that out, that birds actually are reversed. The females are ZW and the males are ZZ. So even though that's the example they gave in the article, that that actually wouldn't apply to the study that was done. The study was done on fruit flies, and fruit flies do have XY. Uh, in fact, XY uh, is um, XY males is seen in 
in mammals and also in some kinds of insects, like grasshoppers, roaches, and fruit flies. The ZW, with the females being ZW and males being ZZ, are in birds and insects like butterflies and some fish species. So the, the, the bird reference actually was just to refer to sexual selection, not the chromosomal arrangement. So thanks for the clarification. And since we're low on time, we're going to go straight to science or fiction. It's time for Science or Fiction. Each week, I come up with three science news items or facts, two genuine and one fictitious. Then I challenge my panel of skeptics to tell me which one is the fake. Are you guys ready for this week? Couldn't be readier. My astrologer says yes. More ready. Your dowsing pendulum says yes. Bob, you know, you could get a dowsing pendulum and use it to figure out which is the, the, uh, the fake in the science or fiction. Yeah, Bob. I think I'm doing fine without that crap. All I don't right. know. All right. All right, here we go. Item number one. A new discovery indicates that human consumption of chocolate is at least 150,000 years old. Item number two, using a computer analysis of the human genome and evolutionary principles, researchers have discovered 300 new human genes. And item number three, physicists have developed a method for manipulating light that is one million times more efficient than existing methods. Jay, go first. Sometime today. Would yeah, don't make me break out the intermission music. Helpful. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> da, 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 um, da, da, da. The last one, the physicists have developed a method for manipulating light. You know, you got to be more specific. What kind of manipulation? Like trapping it, directing it. So that it could be used, you know, so that it could be used in technology. Gotcha. Like lasers and stuff for, for you know, sharks and uh, sea bass. You know, I have one simple request and that is to have sharks with frickin' laser beams attached to their heads. <laughs> the 150,000-year-old use of chocolate, that seems to be the fake to me, but I know you're, you're, you're playing funny things here. I'm just going to say that's it. I, think, I don't think we've been eating chocolate as it is today for 150,000 years. Okay, Rebecca? Yeah, I agree. That sounds ridiculous, and if you try to weasel your way around it through wordplay, then I'm going to declare you wrong anyway. So I don't do that. that. <laughs> yes, you do. You do it all the time. So, yeah. No way. Chocolate. No. Okay, Bob. The second one, 300 new human genes. I'm going to say that is science. It seems entirely plausible. Um, even though they found, the, the Genome Project found, what was it, 20,000? 25,000? 20,000. What's a few hundred more that they potentially missed. Let's see. Physicist, new method for manipulating light. One million times more efficient. Can you be any more vague? A million times. Man, that's that sounds pretty good to me. But I don't think I'm going to go with that one. Um, the chocolate one. Evan, did, did Evan go? Nope, he's going last. I think you're playing games with that number. That's just way out there. I'm going to go with the 150,000 year old love of chocolate is fiction. Okay, Evan. Well, I'm forced to agree. 150,000 years old chocolate. I don't I don't see it. You know, maybe like like Bob may have suggested you're playing maybe with words there, maybe some other form. Excuse me, of I chocolate. suggested that and I am not Bob. Wait a minute. I'm the one that All picked right. this one to start in the, in the first place, so it's my Yeah, but you were just guessing. Uh, I'll say it's number 3 is fiction then. Uh <laughs> no, I'll stay with I'll stay with my choice <laughs> and go with chocolate is fiction. Okay, well, let's take them in reverse order then, since you all agree that the chocolate one is fiction. 
physicists have developed a method for manipulating light that is one million times more efficient than existing methods, and that one is science. What, so what does that mean, wow. Steve? A million times. One million times. A million's a lot. This was just published in Science Magazine. A very oh, so it must be science. Yes, so it must be science. I would, have been, I would have been happy with 100,000 times. This was done uh, by a team at the University of Bath in the UK, and they're using a hollow core photonic crystal fiber as thin as a human hair to uh, both you know, capture and manipulate light. And it does it with a million times the efficiency of, of existing methods. Wow. Uh, meaning that it uses um, a million times less energy. And this is important because it enables them to create extremely sh- brief or short pulses of light. And that gives them the ability to use it to manipulate really small things like electrons. Wow. Steve, we're talking like um, an attosecond. Did that, was that word in the article? As a matter was of it fact, a- it was. Okay. I was just about to ask you that. Yes, it was an attosecond. This is called attosecond technology. A billion billionth. A billionth, a billionth of a billionth. Ten to the minus 18 seconds. Billionth. Billionth of a billionth. Yep, that's right. Uh, yeah, a billionth mm-hmm. of a billionth. Right. Very small. Yep. And they say it costs a millionth of the power used by other methods. So, quite in advance, and this brings us closer to... Photonic computers, right? Yeah, photonic computers is going to be one possible, you know, application of this. So, you know, this is a kind of one of those basic things where... You know, you just just can't really predict how it's going to be used or the ways in which it's going to be exploited. And, you know, who knows how transformational this will be. But it sounds pretty cool. Second one, using a computer analysis of the human genome and evolutionary principles, researchers have discovered 300 new human genes. And this one is also science. Woohoo! So congratulations, everyone. Awesome. Now, these weren't just normal genes. These were, like, I don't want to say, like, really small. Nope, these are normal genes. Small genes. They're normal genes, but there's, there's something... A little different about them than, than some of the Not other necessarily. Ones were. So, although we have sequenced the entire human genome, what that means is we have the entire you know CGAT sequence of base pairs in the human DNA, but we still have to figure which of those sequences are genes and which ones are non-coding regions or maybe right. are um, serving so some cool. other purpose, but they're not coding for proteins. They might be serving some regulatory purpose, but they're not you know, genes coding for proteins. And you're right, Bob, we've discovered 20,000 of them. And that number did shrink after we sequenced the, gene, the human genome. Earlier estimates were much higher. Oh, my, they were talking like 100,000? 100, I think yeah. that was the highest estimate I've heard, but that was significantly decreased to about 20,000. But uh, this was actually a very interesting method that was used um, where they, com- they used a computer to analyze the human genome, comparing it to other species, and then looking for sequences that were similar among the different sequences. And they could also, they were using evolutionary principles because they wanted to see that the sequences were more conserved as you got closer to humans, right? So the more closely evolutionarily related to humans the other species' DNA we were comparing it to was, the more similar these sequences would be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Whereas if, like, if you're comparing a human to a chicken, there would be more mutations, more differences than when you're comparing a human to a chimpanzee. So using some algorithm, some computer algorithm, just pouring through all this data, they came up with 300 you know, genes hiding away in the human genome that were not previously recognized. 
So it's actually a very cool method. Uh, all of this means that a new discovery indicates that human consumption of chocolate is at least 150,000 years old is indeed fiction. Ooh, but that was just silly. What, what's, but honestly, what is so silly about that? That's ridiculous. That's very, very long ago. Why? Well, ice ages, right? What's, what's no. wrong with you know, eating, eating uh, cocoa beans off a of tree? It's what's not chocolate, Steve. About that? Cocoa well, first of all, it's not chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> Wait, I'm thinking Hershey bar here. They never Hershey bars that long ago. <laughs> Uh, you forgot to add the sugar. Hershey yeah, bars right. aren't chocolate. Well, actually, the real oh, problem God. with it—the real problem with it—is that cocoa only exists in South America, and and humans have only been there for maybe fifteen thousand years or so. So, yeah. that's 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 the big problem with the hundred fifty thousand year. Okay, that's, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Wasn't it really close to like three thousand? Well, the previous estimate was about three thousand years old, and that was extended by about five hundred years. So it does go back about maybe 3,500 years. They found a vessel, and they found traces of cocoa, basically, in the vessel. It was probably like a, a cocoa beverage. Well, maybe it was a cleaning agent. Was it a hot cocoa it beverage? Could have been. It could have been hot chocolate. <laughs> was yeah. there fluff in it? Any peanut butter residue? <laughs> but they think, they think that the, the, the first attempts at uh, consuming the cocoa bean, they were actually trying to ferment it or make some kind of alcohol or beer out of it. Aha, cool. As is the human way. Yes. Maybe chocolate <laughs> was just an accidental discovery. It's like, damn, chocolate this isn't beer. beer. Chocolate beer. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm, All right, I was pushing out. it with 150,000 years. A little bit. A little yes. should have said like 3,600. Well, but yeah, right. But that would have that been fair. <laughs> Think of the no. whining I would have gotten from we you would have, No, that would have been quintessential. We would have vilified you. 3,000 I've never years. done anything like No, he's that. never been that, <laughs> na- that cruel. He's cruel in yeah. other ways. Yes. <laughs> All right, Evan, give us last week's puzzle, please. All right, last week's puzzle. According to legend, at 37 it consumes, at 40 it refrains. Identify the myth. And our good listeners did. Zam was the first one to correctly identify this myth as feed a cold, starve a fever. Good one. Ah. 37, of course, are the, and 40 are the Celsius mm-hmm. degrees. That was a good one, Evan. 98.6. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Isn't 98.6? That's bullshit, isn't it? That was yes. just an average somebody came up with, and it kind of stuck, and it's really not... It's generally... I think if you had to come up with an average, I think it's actually a little bit lower than that. No, actually, up to 99.9 is considered normal, and 100 is considered a fever. So, and, yeah, so I mean, it could be anywhere from... You know, 96, What's the lower end? Yeah, 90, yeah, yeah like 96, 96, 97 up to like 99 is, is, is the normal range. It's much more of a range. Yeah. You're right. 98.6 is way too specific, you know, for, for that number. It's Right. So congratulations, Sam. Well done. And do you have a puzzle for us this week, Evan? I do. And here it is. This screwed up analytic sham states the following. It starts with 167 and ends with 268. Yet there are 112 in total. 110 of them are gone, one is here now, and one has yet to come. What is it? Don't know. Very interesting. That is so cryptic, so I challenge you all. That is both cryptic and obtuse. (laughs) Obtuse? (laughs) I don't know about that. But uh, enjoy, folks, and send in your answers, and good luck. Thank you, Evan. Jay, do you have a quote for us this week? I have have a quote, Steve. This is a quote from Stephen Hawking. He's a British theoretical physicist, and his quote is, The greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it is the illusion of knowledge. 
Stephen Hawking's is a goddamn robot. Stephen Hawking. <laughs> what? That's a good Hawking quote. I never came across that. Yeah, line. it is a good Hawking quote. I added that last part about him being a robot. Yeah. So yeah, we have we only have what about five six weeks left till the end of the year. Last year we did a a year end wrap up episode, and we're planning on doing that again this year. So we're asking our listeners to start thinking about your favorite bit from the year, your your favorite quote, the, the favorite segment, the whatever the the superlatives. Think, give us ideas about the the kind of things that you want us to talk about a review, or the things that stuck out most about the show for you over the year and email those in or we'll start a thread on the message board as well and then we're going to put together the best of for our end of the year show well have a happy thanksgiving everyone you too too, steve yes and by the time you're all listening to this you'll have had a happy thanksgiving now remember the average person gains five pounds between thanksgiving and christmas no 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 we already no. It's the human head weighs eight pounds. I Bob, thought. didn't we? No, didn't we wait, find out Bob um, was only more like a pound? I, yeah. I remember reading that it was the average was seven pounds, and then I remember we talked about it. Of course, I forget what the specifics are now, though. We did. We did talk about this actually. There was a study a few years ago that showed that that Americans gain about one pound during the winter holiday season, but they tend to keep it on for life. So that pound that you gain for life tends to stay there. <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, you can have 10 years of holidays before you have to even worry about <laughs> right. it. Right. All right, happy holidays. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. See you next week. And until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by the New England Skeptical Society in association with the James Randi Educational Foundation and Skeptic.org. For more information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at www.theskepticsguide.org. For questions, suggestions, and other feedback, please use the Contact Us form on the website or send an email to info at theskepticsguide.org. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us spread the word by voting for us on Dig or leaving us a review on iTunes. You can find links to these sites and others through our homepage. Theorem is produced by Kineto and is used with permission. Problem.